You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Book of Isaiah, and we're going to look at chapter 54. And from verse 11. O afflicted city, lash my storms and not comforted. I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. All your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. See, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to wreak havoc. No weapon forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and this is their vindication from me declares the Lord. Well, I leave the country for four weeks and you wreck the place. (laughs) It's just, you know, you you were scared to put the television on or open a newspaper because what, what is happening with all the different things? And so many new phrases coming into the language even, uh, the politics of fear, post-truth politics, um, the politics of smear and so on, and so many changes at a national and uh, I think in in other ways as well, and of course uh, at a personal level for many people. Well, God's people knew that, and there is, that's happened to God's people all the time. And in the passage we're looking at, Isaiah is bringing God's word to God's people, telling them where their real security lies. Why do people get really angry and really afraid? Um, Whatever your views on the European Union, why get really angry about leaving it or staying in it or whatever? What about fear of going on holiday to Nice? What about the concern that many people feel about illness? Because I think deep down, all of us know that we live in a very uncertain world. I don't think it's become more uncertain, but perhaps maybe we're a little bit more aware of it. And here an image is used of a city in a storm. God speaks to his people and he calls them the afflicted one, the storm-tossed one, the terrorized one. What does a terrorist seek to do? The point of a terrorist is not to win a battle. The point of a terrorist is to terrorize people. So you get on a plane and you can't help. I mean, I hate flying anyway, as you know, um, but you can't help but think. You know, that Malaysian Airlines that was flying the route, basically, that we flew. Thankfully, we didn't fly over Ukraine. But uh, one disappeared and one got blown up. And you... You can't help but think things sometimes. To be terrorized. 
Sometimes um, it's a very, very bad way of parenting to terrorize your children. I'm absolutely certain that Tim does not tell his children, you don't go to sleep or you'll die. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's not the, the, the route that a good counselor would go. Um, but, you know, sometimes you get that, you know, you, you, you put the fear into them, get these kids to behave themselves. It's not a good way to go, though, to terrorize, is it, in that way? And yet, the devil always seeks to terrorize God's people so that we're afraid, so that we're scared, so that we worry all the time. And Isaiah, as we've seen, has already been told by God, comfort, comfort my people. Now, there's a right and a wrong way to comfort. The wrong way to comfort is to go there, there, everything's going to be fine, when you know that everything probably is not going to be fine. So this is how God comforts his people. First of all, you'll notice that he says, uh, behold, I, he uses I, I will build you, I this. Now, what he's teaching them to do is to look away from themselves and their own circumstances and to look to him. The devil is always seeking to get us to look away from God, to doubt God, to fear God. But here, being told to look to him. And I think what's happening is God's people are looking going, oh, this is just such a mess. If only it could be rebuilt. If you've seen the pictures of Aleppo in Syria, beautiful city, but look at the pictures of it now, just wrecked, just destroyed. And you think if only it could be rebuilt. Well, in terms of the world, the mess that the world is in, sometimes you think, oh, well, if only this could be renewed and rebuilt. And that is the great promise of the Bible. The great theme of the Bible is that God made the world that was good, that it, because of human sinfulness it has become corrupted. But God is not going to destroy that world. He is going to renew it and recreate it with human beings. The great promise of the Bible is a whole renewed universe. And this is in a, a, he uses language here where he's speaking about various stones being rebuilt. I'll say something about them in a moment, but let's just turn for a moment to Revelation 21, where this promise is given in more detail. And from verse 10, Revelation 21, verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three on the south and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, 
the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophaz, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's a theme that occurs in Isaiah over and over. And renewed city, peace and righteousness, strength and security. Calvin says this, whenever therefore we shall see her violently shaken by tempests, and he's talking about God's church, and weighed down by a load of distresses and deprived of all consolation, let us remember that these are the very circumstances which induce God to give assistance. So God's church is afflicted. God's church is oppressed. There's so much to be terrorized about. And the Bible comes and tells us, now you see. These are, this is why Jesus has come. Now you see. You see, you could be here and just everything's great. Your bank account's full. You're fit and healthy. Your job's great. Everything is great for you. And you just think, what do I need God for? It may be that things are not great for you, and you think, well, I need God to get this, and I need God to get that. But you don't. You don't need God to get things. You need God. Because no matter what we have, this world is full of trouble and sorrow. You know, when you're on um, one of these ridiculously long flights, you watch far too many movies, and uh, I watched the one about Hank Williams, I Saw the Light. Oh, what a great film. First of all, Hank Williams is just so cool. He's the only cool country singer ever, but he's really, he's just great. And uh, what I didn't know about him was, I mean, that he, he had this battle all the time. And why is this such a story? Why does this seem to occur so much? He, he wrote a song like, I Saw the Light. You know, no more darkness, no more night. And yet he himself lived with... Uh, drunkenness, with sexual promiscuity, with broken relationships all over the place, and eventually died probably because of a heart condition caused by his drinking, age 29. I contrasted him with Robert Murray McShane, who died age 29, uh, not from something caused by his drinking. But the, the, the sadness in William's life, and I think uh, that makes me think, if I contrast these two, Williams and Robert Murray McShane, about what foundation we're building our lives upon. We all need a good, solid foundation for when the storms come. And that's what's mentioned here, the stones of turquoise. Um, it's always difficult when uh, precious stones are mentioned in the Bible because we're never very sure exactly what is meant by them. Here, the words used was used of a, actually a black mineral powder, which was actually used as a kind of eyeliner. For, for women, and, and it was also, it's the, the image here seems to be that this is what keeps 
the city together. It was, it was in that culture perceived as being something that was particularly beautiful. The lapsis lapsuli, the blue, um, I read somewhere, and I know that Rangers fans and Dundee fans will appreciate this, that blue is the color of heaven, uh, of revelation, and of the covenant. I have no idea what green is, so I'm sorry. Um, but it, it, again, it's just an image of beauty. And the interesting thing there is it's a beauty that doesn't come from within herself. It's a beauty that is given to her by God. The Bible uses an image of the church and the relationship between the church and Jesus Christ of a bride and bridegroom. Now, with the bride and bridegroom, the bride is beautiful. The bridegroom doesn't make her beautiful. But the distinction here is as human beings, sinful human beings, we, we don't deserve to be anywhere near God. And yet he comes and he makes us beautiful. The gates are of sparkling jewels, verse 12, the battlements of rubies, the fiery red jewels. The walls are of precious stones, stones of delight. The whole image here is one of color and variety and the rainbow and beauty. And what God's people are being told you are afflicted, you are oppressed, you are in the midst of desolation, you are in the midst of devastation, and yet I am going to build you in such a way that it's not just a ring on your finger, but your whole walls will be the most beautiful and most extraordinary things possible. He then goes on to say, verse 13, what the benefits of that are. And what we're looking at here are the benefits of following Christ and knowing Christ in this world and the world to come. First of all, all your sons will be taught by the Lord and great will be your children's peace. The education of children is hugely important. How we teach them is vitally important. Taught by the Lord, just think of Jesus and his followers who were called disciples because they were taught by the Lord. John 6, 45, Jesus says this, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. Now, I want to just take a little sidetrack here. For those of you in a culture, in a church culture, who the way this verse has often been misused to say, I don't need to be taught by any preacher. I don't need to be taught by reading the Bible. Jesus teaches me. And these kind of people are actually the most impossible people to discuss with or to reason with or to talk with because they believe that Jesus has told them. So Jesus told me this. Jesus told me that. Jesus, They've got a hotline of Jesus. They don't need anything else. And sometimes they will cite this verse. I've been taught by the Lord. I've got the secret of the Lord. Well, that's an absolute and blasphemous misuse of the Bible. That is not what Jesus is saying. Being taught by God, we ask, well, how does God teach us? What is involved in that? And it's important that we recognize the community of the church and the way that God reveals himself to us as well. Because otherwise, how will you ever know How will the word of the prophets be made more certain in your life? I mentioned to the children about dreaming. How do you know that the dream you you had last night, or didn't have, um, how do you know that that's not a revelation from God? I mean, 
I'm so thankful that I don't rely on my dreams for guidance. Otherwise, I'd be in a huge mess, bigger mess than I am now. Or what about your feelings? Or what about someone else coming with a word of prophecy to you? How do you know it's real? How do you know it's true? And therefore, people get very, very confused. And again, in our culture, people say, well, what about this religion? And what about that? And what, you know, what if one of these terrorists really did believe that God had told them they had to go and kill people? Do you turn around and say, well, maybe that's what God told them? No, you don't. You come to the word of God and you say, well, what does that tell us? It's why you can't have a Christian terrorist. Why can't you have that? Because a Christian is someone who follows Christ. And as we read earlier, Christ tells us to love our enemies. Not to destroy them. Not to kill them. Not to curse them. But to bless them. And if you say you're following Christ, and then you say, well, I'm lying for Jesus, or killing for Jesus, or doing violence for Jesus, that's not Christianity. It's not following Jesus Christ. When people say, I don't need Bible teaching, I just listen to Jesus, I want to say, well, you haven't been listening to Jesus, because Jesus gives us his word that his voice may be more certain. How can we believe in Jesus unless we hear about him? How can we follow him unless we hear from him? When someone says, I'm not really interested in doctrine, I just follow Christ, I, just, I, I would just answer, how? Which Jesus are you following? How do you know about Jesus? Oh, well, Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus... Yeah, but it's, it's in the Bible. Jesus reveals himself. I mean, who do you think you are that you've got a hotline to God and you can work it all out by yourself? When you think about it, it's not humility, it's supreme arrogance. Doctrine, okay, maybe we don't like that word. But all it is, it's the teaching that God brings us about himself. And that is precious. Your children will be taught by the Lord. So what's going on through in the Sunday school just now is not that those of you who have children through there just now, it's not that they're being taught by the Sunday school teachers. They are. But if the Sunday school teachers are doing what they're supposed to be doing, teaching the Word of God, they are being taught by the Lord. And we are not just to be hearers, but doers of the Word. We, become, we ourselves become living and precious stones, being shaped by the Spirit and applying the Word. And as a result of that, it is the teaching of Jesus Christ, it is the teaching about Jesus Christ, it is the teaching about what Jesus has done and is doing and will do that brings us peace. Great will be your children's peace. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that comes from the servant, Jesus Christ. And I read Fiona's letter. That letter's for real. She's not muttering pious words. She really believes that. And so do her children. How can you have peace when you've watched your husband die? How can you have peace when you've seen so much suffering? Is it, is it Buddhist emptiness? Just no feeling? Not at all. The tears are there. The tears are real. But underneath are the everlasting arms. You can have peace because of who Christ is and what you know about Christ.
It is his offspring back in chapter 53 and verse 10. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. If you are a Christian, you belong to Christ. You are a child of Christ. You are taught by Christ. And that is a wonderful, wonderful gift. Verses 14 and 15, in the midst of this storm, in this rebuilt city, as you're being built into this living body, if you like, there comes also not just teaching that brings peace, but righteousness that brings freedom. In righteousness, you will be established, terribly will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Righteousness is one of those words that we don't use a lot. We certainly don't use it in normal conversation. And some of us as Christians, we would struggle with the idea of saying that we are righteous when we sing some of these psalms about, Lord, judge me in my righteousness. We're uncomfortable with that. But righteousness just simply means being right with God, having our sins forgiven, not having anything wrong that we have said, done, or thought attributed to us, but it being forgiven. Now, each of us in our lives has a foundation, and it depends what your foundation is. The people I feel most sorry for today are not those who mourn the loss of loved ones, but anybody here whose foundation is themselves. And what I mean by that, if you think your goodness, your righteousness, your life, your gifts are the basis for your life, then you are in enormous difficulty and enormous trouble because it's a basis that can just be blown away, just blown away, moved away by many different things, by the tyranny of the enemy. But if your righteousness is not yours but Christ, what Christ has done and who Christ is, then you are on a rock it doesn't mean that you won't have storms. It doesn't mean that you won't have enemies. But here it said they're not sent by God. There will be an intense battle. Terrorism will come. But it's not people acting in a way that God commends or what God desires. That's why without a single hesitation of doubt, I can say, that the man who drove that lorry over children in Nice was not sent by God. And it would be absolutely wrong for any of us to say that. It would also be a complete misunderstanding for those who are, believe strongly in the sovereignty of God as I do and described as Calvinists to say, oh, well, God sent that man. That would be a misunderstanding of the teaching of the Bible as well. Because here is, what's promised here is righteousness that gives us freedom from tyranny. So, you get out your bed in the morning, and you see all that's going on in the world. You hear about the sadness and everything else, and you just say, oh, I'm, I'm just so scared. I read uh, this week that one-third, one-third of young people in Britain are living in fear. That's an extraordinary statistic. I'm just so scared. But God says to his people, you'll have enemies, but they're not sent by me, and you will be free from 
tyranny. Because he goes on to talk about in verses 16 and 17, the victory that brings vindication. First of all, we have teaching that that brings peace, then righteousness that brings freedom, then victory that brings vindication. The weapons that are forged against you will not prevail. Why? Because you've got two wrong teachings about God. You've got one that says God is omnipotent, He's all-powerful, but basically He's capricious, He's cruel, he, He does whatever He wants. He's like playing a chess game. He's like playing a video game. Interestingly enough, there is a research going on at the moment which is fascinating. If you look at all the major terror attacks in Western countries over the past 10 years, a significant number have been carried out by people who are on drugs and who use video games a lot. Now, that doesn't mean to say you use video games, you're going to turn into a terrorist. But I think part of what's going on there is the disconnect between the screen and reality. And so there are people going along shooting people, and it's almost like being in a video game. Anders Breivik in, in Norway, for example, you look at that, and you see what, what's his mindset in that. Played shoot em up games 12 hours a day. Now, I think that's one wrong view, if you like, of God as, as some kind of chess player, just manipulating pieces on a board, not caring for any of them. But there's another view which is almost an overreaction against that, which says, well, look, God's helpless. He can't do anything. He's just, he gives us some good ideas, and then we just have to live with it. But he really likes us, and he really cares for us. That's useless. Here, we're told, no weapon that's fashioned against you will succeed. Why? Because God creates the blacksmith who makes the weapons of war. It's a very subtle point. He's, saying, he's not saying, God creates the weapons to attack you. God creates the blacksmith. The blacksmith chooses to do this, and these weapons of war are used against you. God creates the scientist, if you like, with a fantastic brain who can split the atom, and the atom can be used to generate energy, or it can be used to annihilate people. Science itself is amoral. There's no morality in science. It's not immoral. It's not good or bad in terms of morality. Science is, is just a means of understanding or how things work. What we do with them, it's human beings who are moral. But God is not surprised by these weapons. He's not surprised that they're used against us, and He even allows them to be used. John L. Mackay says this, no aspect of the affairs of mankind lies outside the control of the Creator, not even the actions of those who are the enemies of His people and His cause. No weapon shall stand against us. And the weapon I think particularly here he's concerned about is truth and lies. People who are using lies against us, and there are many what weapons do we have as Christians? Now, if you're a modern, contemporary, 21st century, Western person, some of the songs we're singing this morning should make you feel uncomfortable. I hope they do. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. What's this? Christian ISIS? No, it's not. Soldiers of the cross is not crusaders. But the, the imagery that is used is absolutely correct. There is a spiritual battle, but what are our weapons? They are spiritual weapons. You go to Ephesians chapter 6. 
They're not weapons of violence. And above all, it's the weapon of truth. Uh, Jimi Hendrix had a fantastic song all along the watchtower. Well, Bob Dylan's. Uh, and uh, I had thought this was part of the song, but it wasn't. It was Bono of U2. When they sang it, he began it by uh, quoting a black poet. There must be some kind of way out of here, said the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion here. I, get, I, I can't get no relief. That's from the watchtower. And then Bono added this. All I've got is a red guitar, three chords, and the truth. That was actually a line from a country singer describing country music. Basically, it's just three chords, guys. But it's the truth. And as I watched the Hank Williams thing, he, in, in that, that film, he, there's a line in which he says, I don't know why my music appeals to people, but I think I tell them the truth. That life is a mess. That life is just all mucked up. The Christian has the unanswerable weapon of truth because the truth is not just that life is a mess, but that Christ is himself the truth. Luke 21, before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. Really? Not a hair of your head will perish, and you'll be put to death. Put those two things together. Jesus knew what he was saying, and you know what he's saying in this? He's saying, no matter what they do to you, if you've got the truth, then if you've got me, then whatever happens, you cannot ultimately be harmed. I hadn't realized that Hank Williams had written, I thought it was an old uh, spiritual, but it wasn't. It was song, Praise the Lord, I Saw the Light. I was in darkness and sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Now I'm so happy. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. And Jesus is saying, come, you are weary and burdened and heavy laden, you who are afflicted and oppressed, and I will give you rest. Sometimes there are people who just say, I can't cope anymore. I've had enough. Just give me the pills. I'm done. And in a way, the Lord... Well, the Lord does understand all that. And he says, look, I'll give you rest. But it's not the rest of death. I will give you myself. So in a world in which we've got language like the politics of fear and the politics of smear and post-truth, how do we defeat these things? We defeat them because they are removed by the truth. Romans 8 says the whole creation groans waiting for this renewal. That's why at the end of this uh, section, it says, this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. That's why at the end of Revelation 21, the passage you read, we, we read of this great inheritance kept for us, that it's true. And it's all because of the Lamb, all because of Jesus.
1 Peter 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Isn't that brilliant? Your inheritance, if you are a believer, can never perish, spoil, or fade because it's kept for you. It can't be lost. It can't be ruined. It cannot be destroyed. There isn't anything in your life about which you can say that except this. It's kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See, again, here, and I don't, my time's gone, so I don't really want to go into this in any great detail, but one of the mistakes we make as Christians is we go, this is it, this is it, this is the best we've got. And the Bible keeps saying to us, no, it's not, no, it's not, no, it's not. You ain't seen nothing yet. The only way I can illustrate that is to say, I fly cattle class or whatever it is, ordinary class. And because of some things that happened to us, we got to fly business class. Not only that, we got to go into the first class lounge. My goodness, how the other 0.01% live. It's just, it's just incredible. Click your fingers, you can have whatever you want. Just ex- extraordinary. And it was just, it was a complete revelation. Now, I'd like to say it made me feel ill. It didn't. It made me feel really happy. I was, and, and you could lie down and go to sleep. It was fabulous. And I just thought, part of me thought, I wonder what it's like upstairs in the first class where they've even got a separate entrance and the peasants don't walk past them. You know, they've got beds and things like that and showers and they're, you know, and you think, but see, once you've gone business class or first class and then you go back to cattle class or whatever it is, you're thinking, oh my goodness, where's the leg room? You know, where's the posh food? Where's all this? You know, a lot of, we've got to realize as Christians that we are on a journey that we haven't actually made it, but our salvation, our salvation is guaranteed and sure and certain, but there really is something that is to be revealed in the last time that is much better. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor mind conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. You could imagine the best possible world of all worlds, and you wouldn't get what God has prepared. That's why I don't mourn for Quinton. I mourn for his family, mourn for his friends, mourn for personal loss, but not for him. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How can you lie in in bed and your body be broken and laugh and rejoice in God's Word unless you realize and you've got some grasp of this wonderful salvation that Christ has given you. We live in a world and in a culture where people tell people to be afraid and where politicians get elected on that basis. You know, 
We shouldn't be afraid of Muslims, people of other nationalities, people of different social backgrounds, people of different ways. Why are we afraid? If we belong to Jesus Christ, we know that we are totally and 100% utterly secure. And what we should be seeking to do is to go out and wage the battles that the Lord calls us to, which is not to destroy other people, and it's not to hate other people, but it's to love people with the love that Christ himself had so that they too may come in and experience and know this. And no matter the weapons the devil uses, he cannot defeat the almighty all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. As we take a moment to reflect upon it, help us to consider our own circumstances. And Lord, whatever our circumstances, grant that we may look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one whose love knows no limits, the one in whom security, protection, and all the marvelous variety of his creation are preserved and renewed. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.